So welcome to the last week of our Phenomenal Family series. Today we are honored to be closing off our series with Francoise Melby Anthony, who will share her story of wisdom and determination, as well as what the animals at Tula Tula Game Reserve taught her about love, courage, and survival. Welcome, Francoise. Thank you so much, Lisa. So you are often re referred to as the Bridget Bardot of Africa. Living in the bush is a far cry from the chic life in France that you left behind in 1987 when you met and fell in love with Lawrence Anthony, better known as the Elephant Whisperer. I know it probably seems like a lifetime ago, but what did you do back in France? And what was your journey that led you to South Africa? Um, well, I met Lawrence in January, January uh, 1987. Yeah, 1987. I was... Uh, I was working for a chamber of commerce in France, organizing trade shows. So I was traveling a lot all around the world. And then uh, one morning, waiting for a taxi on a very cold day and uh, snowing, no taxi, I met Lawrence. And um, we fell in love. And um, three months later, I came to South Africa for the first time in my life. Uh, actually, we don't know much about South Africa and Europe. I mean, those days, we didn't know. And I fell in, the, in love with the country straight away. Uh, I came for Easter for three weeks. I thought the people were the most friendly, the most uh, kindest people. I mean, compared to Paris, I can tell you. I, I, it was actually, I, I was actually wondering why the people are so nice, you know. <laughs> and it was, uh, so I fell in love with the country and I decided to move uh, in this time, to leave my job, my family, my friends, everything, my life in Paris. And I arrived in South Africa, in Durban, in the end of December, 1987. It was a big change, a big change for me. Yeah. I can, I can just imagine um, coming into um, South Africa and living in the bush. But things changed very dramatically for you after the passing of Lawrence in 2012. I mean, up until then, you were really responsible for the hospitality side of the lodges and wasn't really involved in the caretaking of the animals. When that life-changing event happened, what were some of the things that went through your mind at that stage? Well, there was a lot of confusion at that time because uh, I was, uh, uh, you know, we had been at Tula Tula since 1988. That's when we bought Tula Tula. And uh, so, yes, I, I was dealing with all the, the, the hospitality side, the marketing, the finances. Lawrence was dealing completely with the conservation side, the animals, the, the land, the maintenance of the game reserve. And really, I didn't have a clue about all this. So when Lawrence passed away in March 2012, I really was really thrown into the deep end, uh, if I may say so, because I still had to deal with uh, finance and with uh, hospitality and um, training of the staff. But on top of that, I had to deal with the conservation side. And uh, what was very hard for me is to learn about the poaching, the anti-poaching and the, the problems which were like... Two weeks after Lawrence passed away, uh, they tried to shoot one of my rhinos, my little rhino orphans, Tabu. Uh, they shot, actually, at him, but he didn't die. He made, he made it. But it was like a, a wake-up call to my new responsibilities, to which I was totally unprepared. So I must say the first couple of years were very, very hard. Um, it, it took me a while to to to... to to, to get used to everything, but you know, at the same time, I had to learn. That's all. 
you know, if you, you, you learn, you know, Lawrence, when we brought you La Tula and we got the elephants, we didn't have a clue about elephants. So I think it's a question of common sense and a question of uh, um, getting things together. And um, well, it, the, the two first year were very hard, but we survived. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, including your staff at Tula Tula, thought that you would be returning back to France after Lawrence passed. What made you decide to stay in South Africa? Oh, well, those were rumors uh, that I was going back to France because for a lot of people, because I was a foreigner and I was a wife, uh, uh, the normal thing should have been, well, I pack up, uh, I pack and I go back home which people thought that my home was in France, but you know, I had been in this country already for mm, many years, many, many years. I mean, in 2012, I had been in this country for 25, 25 years. So, you know, when you've been in Africa for 25 years and you, um, I mean, and I had, had a serious purpose, you know, I couldn't pack and take my dog, my, what about my dogs, my elephants, my, animals and the people. You know, all the people I had trained from the beginning, most of my staff come from the local communities and I had trained most of them for my hospitality staff. You know, I mean, they've been with me for more than 15 years, 20 years now. So how could I leave them? You know, it would have been like abandoning my family. And that was just unthinkable. And I had a purpose to carry on the legacy of Lawrence anyway. So there was no way. I, I'm, I'm, Actually, it didn't even cross my mind to go back to France. Uh, for me, uh, this was my country, and uh, uh, I was—I had passion as well. I had a passion of 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 my my job there. My job was to take care of the humans and the animals. You actually referred to it earlier about you couldn't leave your family, and when we met in the bush last month. I was struck by you often referring to your family business. In your family business, who do you define as family? Well, my, my family is all, of, it's all the humans and all the animals. They're all my children. I've got a huge family. I've got uh, uh, 50 staff members. And uh, I must say that most of them, uh, they all call me mama or they call me anyway whatever but they they, they call me like if, if i was their mother you know and I, I, i've trained them I've, you know they were so young when they arrived at tula tula and uh, i've trained them with every single job with the, the, the cooking but the, the serving and even our game rangers you know they started at tula tula they were security guards and then slowly they showed some interest in conservation and in the animals, and then they became trackers, and then they became ranger. They took their driving license. My head ranger is a, from the local community, and he's absolutely amazing. So it's wonderful to see people progressing like this. You know, uh, I think in my uh, my duty is to to uplift and to um, to empower people from the local community. I think that's so important. And of course, my other children are the animals. Of course, you know, they all got names. All my elephants have got names. Our hippos, our, our rhinos, as you saw. And so we refer by them as the babies. And, the, and, you know, when they've got a baby, I'm the grandmother. I'm the grandmother. It's my family. 
I mean, I mean, that's just a lovely story. And I certainly felt that when we were sitting around the campfire talking to some of your staff, that they did really feel like they truly belonged to this amazing family. I mean, you had to transition to being forced um, unexpectedly into the role of running the family business and taking over the responsibilities that at the time you were not necessarily prepared for. I mean, how, how did you how did you manage that? I know you talked about it being really hard, but uh, you still had a business to run. How did you manage that transition? Well, as you know, at the beginning, it was uh, well, on my own with that Lawrence. Because Lawrence was a patriarch, you see. And he was really, everybody called him Unkulu, the grandfather. He was a man. And in this uh, conservation business, uh, uh, the, the, being a woman and being a foreigner as well, because of my accent, you know, I've talked with a funny accent, I believe. And being a, a woman was very hard uh, because uh, it, it, it takes a little bit to get accepted. But you know, uh, so we are, I look at it. Number one, I've got a wonderful team. I've got wonderful men around me as well who help me a lot. But uh, above all, I think what you must think in life is uh, the purpose, the goal. You know, and whatever obstacles you got on the way, there will always be challenges and adversity and problems. You know, above all, in a business where uh, we are, uh, you know, between humans and animals, I mean, you know, there's always issues. But I think the, the most important thing in life is to. Look at your goal, your purpose, what you want to achieve, and go into that direction, whatever happens on each side. You, you speak about, it's actually quite interesting because in the beginning part of our series, we um, spoke to some of our next generation clients and they also, two of them are in a very male dominated industry. You two also being the matriarch and predominantly a male um, dominated um, sort of industry. How did you navigate some of the challenges that I know you faced at that time? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> You know, I've always been working in male-dominated uh, uh, industry, even when I was in France. Uh, I think you earn, you earn the respect a little bit by working hard and and by you know, staying ethical and uh, doing the right thing, uh, doing good. I think you just get the respect. Uh, eventually, it takes a bit of time. There's always uh, prejudices of a woman in conservation, that there are, uh, with a game reserve, what you're going to do. But number one, you must learn. You must never stop learning in life. This is my... Uh, uh, my motto, never stop learning and um, and then achieve things, achieve things, show that you can do it. And then people end up realizing that. Uh, and number two is having an amazing team. Uh, let's say I've got a wonderful, a wonderful team. They, you know, we all share the same passion, the same vision. This is what's wonderful about my team. I'm very proud of them. Without them, there would be no Tula Tula. And I keep telling them, you are Tula Tula. You know what's important as well? To give a sense of um, um, how to say, uh, ownership. You see, like I always tell, even to the local communities, when we go there and talk to them, I always tell them, you see, the animals of Tula Tula, they don't belong to me, they belong to you. They belong to Africa. And uh, this is what um, really makes them aware that they have to help protecting them as well, to make them part of the team as well, the local community. So it's all about education. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, because it was quite evident when I was there last month, is the sense of belonging. 
um, at whatever level of engagement, what is your leadership style? I mean, how do you create that sense of passion and, you know, your staff mirror the passion that you have got for the efforts that you are um, putting into Tula Tula? How do you get that right? Well, I think I don't uh, act like a boss, you know. I'm not a boss. I don't like to be called boss. I'm never called boss anyway. They call me by my name. And to give them a sense of uh, um, uh, ownership, but as well uh, um, to, to, to empower them, uh, giving them the sense of initiative. I always tell them, I need you to give me ideas, to give, uh, I'm always welcome initiatives. And when we have management meetings uh, with myself, um, they, everyone, like I never took a decision on my own. I always ask every single one of them, uh, what do they think? And they participate like this into the running of the business. You see, so it's a very, um, um, there's no autocratic system of uh, um, uh, leadership with me. It's just everybody takes a decision, everybody part of the decision. Because like that, you give them a sense of responsibility at the same time. And they are very proud at the end of the achievement because we all did it together in unity for the good, the greatest good. It's a little bit like the elephant function, you know? Elephants function like that. Elephants are... Um, for me, the perfect model of society because there's a matriarch and she looks at the best for everyone. It's all about empowering, about uh, and show your appreciation as well to your staff and to your management. Very important that, you know, because nothing to show appreciation, it is always appreciated. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, you mentioned early, earlier that you employ 50 staff at Tula Tula, and I know 90% of them come from the local communities. What are some of the characteristics that you would look for um, when you select somebody to come in and be part of your team? And what are you doing? Um, what are some of the skills that you're teaching your staff um, to integrate into Tula Tula? Number, number one uh, uh, thing is attitude the right attitude, the willingness to learn. And this is wonderful with all these young people from the local community. This is what, exactly what I've discovered, that, that desire to learn, because most of them haven't received university education or college education. So they've been extremely um, uh, willing to learn, and it's a pleasure to teach and to train people who want to learn. So I've taught my chefs, for example, to do a five-star French cuisine, if you can call it French cuisine at the Safari Lodge. And I've trained most of my staff, and the one I cannot train myself, I push them to train themselves and to educate themselves like the game rangers. And it creates, that's why it's a family, because uh, they all got educated at home, in a way. You see, they all learn at Tula Tula, and they know Tula Tula, they know the history of Tula Tula. And it's very valuable as well for us because, um, you know, a game ranger who's been at Tula Tula for 10 years, 15 years, they knew Lawrence as well, so they know the history of Tula Tula. So it's all uh, all together uh, learning all the time as well. You know, they learn all the time, I learn all the time. So it's, it's an incessant education at all levels. So let's talk about your book, An Elephant in the Kitchen. I mean, it tells the tale of how you and Tula Tula uh, survived and thrived after Lawrence's passing and how the elephant herd that was rescued by Lawrence so many years ago 
shared your grief um, at his passing and over time also forged a new relationship with you. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's just an amazing, it's, it's always that, that amazing phenomena which happens in the wild that we can never explain, but we can always interpret our own way. The elephants, one year, actually two days after Lawrence passed away, the elephants came, the whole herd came to the house where, where Lawrence and I used to live. And that was an amazing phenomenon, extremely emotional. And what's even more incredible is when they came back the following year, exactly the same day, at the same time, to the same place. They came back to visit me. You know, we thought it was a coincidence. We thought it was quite unusual and always led by Frankie the matriarch. And the third year, that was even more incredible when the elephants arrived again, same place, same time, same day. You know, three years in a row. Uh, you call it whatever you want, but you know, knowing the intelligence of elephants, it's quite spectacular. You see that elephants came back, and then, and then they came back after that on a regular basis, not necessarily on the same day. They came back, and, and you know what? This, this is what helped me as well to carry on. Of course, the legacy of Lawrence. Let's see, because you know, I went through a lot of discouragement moments discouraging moments, a lot of down moments, of, of course. Um, and uh, I think it was, those elephants gave me the strength with their regular visits. They gave me the strength to lead the Tula Tula team where we are today. That's just, that's unbelievable. I mean, I, I read uh, Lawrence's book and, you know, to physically see it play out in practice is just it's just absolutely amazing i mean let's carry on with the the theme of your book i mean you talk about an elephant in my kitchen there literally was a little baby elephant in your kitchen 10 days old tell me about that yeah that was the most amazing surprise i had heard about that little elephant who was a, he, he, he um ran away from the from the herd, which is very unusual for a baby elephant. They're always close to the mother. And that baby elephant, I don't know, he walked the whole day probably, and eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, uh, I heard my chef, Tom, uh, knocking at my door. She told me there's a baby elephant in the garden. So the boss of us pushed that baby elephant. She was completely terrified. And we gave her food. She had a little nap, just like a baby. And then we brought her back to her mother. And it was quite a, it's a very strange phenomenon that as well, because baby elephants don't run away from, from the herd, you know. She must have been wandering out. I mean, it was a girl, so she must have been wandering out. But it, it's been, it was an was amazing experience of my life, but as well, a wonderful rescue, successful rescue as well, because baby elephants don't do well without uh, the family, of course. So when we brought her back to the mother, it was a great moment. It was a beautiful moment. That she inspired the title of my book because I think it's one of the most amazing experience I've ever had at Tula Tula. Imagine to end up with a baby elephant in your kitchen and you don't know what to do. <laughs> What's next? And then my rangers came to help and everybody came to help to feed her and to take care of her. And now she's a grown, beautiful lady. She's seven years old now. She's a beautiful uh, grown. And I, I named her after my chef, Tom, uh, with a girl, because it sounds 
thanks to her that that baby elephant was rescued. Oh, that's that's just lovely. I mean, in 2017 as well, you you had to face yet another tragedy on your reserve with the attack of the rhino sanctuary. And, you know, without going into too much detail, because I know it was incredibly difficult for you and your staff at the time, how did you overcome that tragedy? That has been the big, one of the biggest tragedies we've experienced at Tula Tula. Uh, it, it's been, a, it had a very sad ending. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's it's one of those tragedies which, you know, even with all the security in the world, you've got five guys armed with heavy weapons. It's a tragedy of poaching, unfortunately. This is something uh, you feel completely helpless against that. Of course, what it did afterwards, we, we reinforced the security at a very high level. We put cameras all around the place. We developed anti-poaching team. Everything was really, uh, uh, but at the same time, we have to move on in life, you know? Uh, you know, we've had tragedies often at Tula Tula, and uh, you have to carry on, move on. So we reopened afterwards for all kinds of animals, the rehabilitation center, so, uh, but no more for rhinos, obviously. To have rhinos is extremely risky, the high risk, uh, but, We've got rhinos in the wild now, and they're doing well. We have them protected 24-7 by my game rangers and my anti-poaching unit. So now let's say that it made me aware of how uh, fragile and vulnerable the rhinos are. So uh, the tragedy just shows uh, how um, our rhinos in South Africa are so vulnerable. They're so strong animal, beautiful animal, and so vulnerable at risk every single day of their lives and how much they need our protection and only us humans you know uh, all the damage is done by humans a certain category of humans so us humans we must fix it so we must protect them as much as we can for future generations because otherwise in 20 years time there won't be any more rhinos it would be absolutely dramatic you know extinction is forever say. so just it just makes us realize how much we need to develop our efforts to save the rhinos. Let's just switch to you personally. You talk about your anxiety becoming a monster with a life all of its own in your book. There, there must have been days um, that you woke up and think, oh, I just I can't carry on. What sort of words, that are, words of advice would you give family businesses also facing adversity, especially in the current climate? Yes, absolutely. Adversity, you know, adversity. Um, you know, I've, I've had to face so much adversity, challenges, difficulties, obstacles. Uh, but eventually, I've learned to turn them around and to look at adversity, challenges, on that as a bonus, as a good thing to happen because it makes you creative and it helps you to open new doors and new opportunities. I think that's the way I look at adversity. And it's true, For like with COVID, you know, COVID was dramatic for a lot of people, for a lot of family businesses, for a lot of um, people. It's, it's been an absolute catastrophe. But, you know, you've learned, we've learned, and, you know, and we learned to uh, actually, um, 
make changes uh, for the better. We had to get creative. We had to uh, it helped. COVID plus the recent riots in KwaZulu Natal. All this makes you look at life differently and uh, doesn't matter. You take the good out of it and you make something good happen of it. Out of the bad, I mean, out of, out of the adversity, you make something good. For, for example, during COVID, we are really battling financially. We had no guests for five months. I still have to pay all my staff. And as you know, we had very little help from government. So we had to make it go right and move on and carry on. There was no way I was going to close down. And uh, I put all my staff at work and, um, and to, to renovate the place. And uh, then I started a, an adoption to raise funds, an adoption program. Um, I put my elephants for adoption, virtual, of course. Adoption, you could adopt them for a month, for two months, etc. My elephants, my rhinos, my hippos, even some giraffes, even my dogs, and even my rangers. I put my rangers for adoption. And this was very friendly, actually. They were so popular, it was incredible. So we raised funds. We, you know, you have to look at life the right way at all times. You have to move on, carry on. You have to think we'll get there. You have to stay positive at all times. You see, it might sound simple to say, but uh, even with the riots, the terrible riots we had in KwaZulu-Natal, it was heartbreaking to see the, the destruction. But when you saw, what you never saw in the media, it's the good people doing amazing work, that unity, that spirit of Ubuntu, uh, which emanated from so many people out of the blues. I mean, people just gathering and to protect uh, shopping centers. Uh, it was absolutely incredible. That's why I saw the South African people have got that amazing spirit of unity to protect and to do good. It was actually a tiny minority of people who created a problem. This is where you realize at the end. So it lasted only two, three days. It was very intense, but I was very admiratory of the South African people, how they reacted towards this terrible adversity uh, of the rioting and well. I mean, that's just this amazing story. And, you know, you talk about the spirit of Ubuntu in your book, and I just think that's just such an amazing um, thing about the African community. Um, it's very, very special. So, Francois, what is your next project? I know that you never um, are really keeping still um, and you, you, you display a massive amount of energy. So what's your next project? Our big project at the moment is the expansion of Tula Tula. So this has been something that uh, it was a dream of Lawrence, of course. This is why we bought Tula Tula to create a massive game reserve where the animals could roam freely and would have a lot of space. Um, so this is what we are busy achieving at the moment, getting a joining game reserve and a joining community land. And so um, to create a very big game reserve. So within a few months, we're going to double up our size, which is absolutely wonderful. That's very important for our elephants' family so that they can start breeding again because they've been in contraception for many years because of the size of our land. And we're going to get even more animals like lions maybe and um, and get more baby rhinos. So we're going to expand at all levels. So that's going to help as well, not only the animals, 
that is what the humans with the local communities is going to create more jobs and a better future for a lot of people. So it's all around. It's a wonderful project. It's a big project, but I'm very well surrounded by wonderful partners, wonderful my staff and new partners, creating new partnership. And this is what, what Lawrence wanted to do. So I think he would be very happy. I think I can feel him smiling and he's quite happy because it's going to be um, doing good for humans and animals. That's great. And I mean, in closing, um, Francois, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy is to that people carry on all the work that Lawrence and I have been doing, um, doing good, uh, uh, educating people, but I believe that education is key to conservation. This is why I created uh, that Volunteers Academy. Very important for people from all around the world, but as well for the local communities to teach them that animals are precious and we must preserve um, uh, the country uh, legacy as well with this beautiful wildlife because South Africa without wildlife wouldn't have tourists. So for example, and South Africa without animals, without elephants, without rhinos, without uh, any wildlife wouldn't be South Africa, it wouldn't be Africa. So, and I think that South Africa is one of the most beautiful countries where I've lived in, while well, I've been here 33 years now, but uh, soon 34, but uh, you know, I've lived all around the world as well. And uh, I, I want this country to carry on, to flourish and prosper with its people, its animals. This is what I really wish that it's all going to get better because I think there are problems everywhere in the world. I can tell you in France as well, there are so many problems, you know, every country has got its own issues, but South Africa has got such potential with its people, its humans, um, Ubuntu uh, people. And I think, I think um, it's, 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 it's a country of contrast, a country of diversity and uh, very proud to be part of this beautiful country. Well, thank you so much, Francoise, for your time. And thank you also for being such a beautiful brand ambassador for our beautiful country and for also continuing your efforts um, to protect the conservation of South Africa. So thank you for your time. We really appreciate it. And all the very best in, in your expansion project and also your next book that we will wait with interest to watch that um, reach the show. Absolutely. Thanks so much.